Good evening. Evening. Special welcome back to Jeff. Nice to have you with us. The topic tonight is the Kabbalah of kosher, exploring the mystery of kashrus. Obviously, to do this well, we would have to spend many hours delving through the many sources and different layers. But I just want to share with you one insight. One idea that we'll develop together, Mitashem. Uh, we're hopefully, when we walk away from this evening, we'll have a little bit of a deeper appreciation of uh, the concept behind the kashras. What's happening to me when I'm consuming something that's kosher in contrast to if somebody was consuming something non-kosher. And then the process itself of, of eating and having a suda washing one's hands before the Suda. Hopefully we'll get some clarity on the, uh, on the entire process. The, uh, the end of the Parsha definitely gives off the feel that eating kosher food in contrast to non-kosher food is a pretty big deal. The Parsha concludes by saying, Ki ani Hashem elokeichem kadishtem kadoshim. That I am Hashem, your God, and you should be holy because I am holy. Do not contaminate yourselves. I uplifted you from the land of Egypt. You need to be Kadosh because I am Kadosh. And the last Pasuk is. Zos, Torah, Sabahema, Vahaof, we're now concluding all of the instructions regarding Behema, Of, Dogim. Lahavdil Bain Hatame U Bain Hatahor. To distinguish, to separate between the Tame and the Tahor. Ubain Achaya Hanechelis, Ubain Achaya Sheloseachel. And between the Chaya, the animal that you're allowed to eat, and the animal that you shall not eat. So why is it that when it comes to kashras, when it comes to our, our menu, the Torah is making such a big deal of this is the source of Kedusha and emulating Hashem, Vayisim Kedoshim Ki Kedoshodni. In Parsha's Kedoshim, for example, where we have all of the mitzvos that, that clearly elevate a human being of, of emulating the ways of the infinite, then it's very logical to say, by becoming someone who's, who's loving and generous and kind, and I'm porish min hamosros, I'm not indulging in anything too, uh, too, too much in the physical realm, so that creates a real feeling of kadusha. I'm a holy person. But not eating these species and only eating those species... Why does that create such a magnitude of, of sanctity? And to say the words, Lahavdil ben hatameo ben hatahor, halachically speaking, a non kosher animal is not officially tame. Right? Tame will translate as impure. The halacha of tuma and tara is no different. You're not officially becoming tame. But yet the Torah is describing the, the consumption of a non-kosher species as a form of tumah. 
it's, it's resulting in the same reality. Whatever Tumah is in general, where if you come in contact with something that creates a status of Tumah, somehow by eating these non-kosher foods, that also results in Tumah. So there's a lot to explore, a lot to explain. One interesting uh, thing as well is the Gemara and Brachos speaks about the mitzvah of washing one's hands at the beginning of the meal. So where does this come from? It's really, a, it's a rabbinic obligation, but there's an allusion from this Pasuk. The Gemara says that when we read at the end of Shemini, that you shall sanctify yourselves becoming Kedoshim, this is being merames, this is alluding to the obligation of washing your hands before you begin a Suda. So the Ksavah Kabbalah asked the very obvious question, how does this notion of Kedusha relate to washing your hands before having a sandwich? Roy loses leval klolom inyan detiles yadayim Belushin Kedusha, it requires analysis. Why do we, or why does the Pusik refer to the washing of one's hands as a form of being Makadesh, Yeryadayim? I'm sanctifying my hands? What's that all about? To take it one step further, just to see the, the magnitude, the importance of this realm of Halacha, of Kashrus. Rashi tells us, quoting from the Gemara, that, Ki ani Hashem ha-mala eschem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I am Hashem, and I, not that I took you out, but ha-mala eschem means, I brought you up from Mitzrayim. So Rashi explains, B'chulon ksiv hotseisi. Generally speaking, when there's any reference to leaving Mitzrayim, the word that's used is, Hotseisi, I took you out. Vikan ksiv hamala. But here, regarding the whole realm of Kashrus, the Pasuk says, I am Hashem who brought you up from Mitzrayim. So what's the connotation here? Ilmole lo helisias Yisrael mi Mitzrayim ele bishvil she'ein metamin bishrotzim kishar umos dayom. Rashi quotes from the Tanah Devei Rabbi Shmuel. The message of the pasuk is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is telling us if the only reason I took you out of Mitzrayim was just to keep you away from the shrotzim, from the non-kosher species, that would have been sufficient. Even if you accomplished nothing else in your life. I never gave you the Torah. I never brought, brought you into Eretz Yisrael. It sounds like Dayenu. But Dayenu, that would have been enough. Just separating us from that non-kosher food, Dayenu. And that's the, that's the word Hamala. Not Hotseisi. Not just I took you out from Mitzrayim. But I elevated you from separating you from non-kosher species. So it's a pretty big deal. Now, on one hand, we're limited because ultimately finding the tam, the answer, or the explanation for kashrus is l'malem in seichel hanoshi. It's well above and beyond us. We know that the general dietary laws are chukim. They're halachos that we don't understand. 
However, we do have the encouragement of the Sefer Echinuch. We know the Sefer Echinuch wrote uh, this Sefer for his son, who is turning Bar Mitzvah, and he wanted to explain to him all of the Taryag Mitzvos, a basic summary of the Halacha and the Shorish and the potential reason, or at least one layer of many, as to why we have this Mitzvah. So in Mitzvah Kuf Nun Tes, where he speaks about the Halachas of Kashras, he says, this is source number four, we don't know the real reason, but why is that the case? Why is it that some mitzvos we were given without having any real access to the, the, the tam, the flavor, the explanation as to why we're doing it? So the Sefer Echinach quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin that explains sometimes knowing the reasons behind something can lead one to start making uh, different cheshbonos and uh, maybe it's not like this, that only applies in that case, doesn't apply in this case. And we have examples of this, the Gemara says, with Shlomo HaMelech. The Torah seems to say the reason why the king should not have too many wives or too much wealth or too many horses is because it will lead the Melech astray. Shlomo HaMelech assumed that on my madrega, with my, with my wisdom, that won't impact me. I'm the exception to the rule. So the Gemara says that sometimes it's healthy not to be able to fully understand something so we don't end up making reasons to avoid it. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't explore and try to get at least an angle or a, a perception of it that we could relate to. The Sefer Echinuch writes, Shashem Yisborach Hilimimenu HaMitzvos. It's true that Hashem has hidden from us the reasons for many of the mitzvos, and ultimately all of the mitzvos. Nonetheless, Va'anochi Harimosi Yodai Ledaber Behen. Nonetheless, I still raise my hands and I'm going to speak about them to my son. How do I have the audacity to, to go into these murky waters? knowing that I'll never fully grasp the, the understanding of Hashem. So he says, I have a Mesoro. My teachers and my mentors and my Rebbeim before me, they did the same thing. They also gave explanations. They also gave us guidelines and insights. And if we could delve into some of those words of Chazal and get a little bit of a nuanced understanding or an appreciation we didn't have before, and try to actually come up with something new on our own, not just making something up, but through the words that we have as part of the legacy of, of Torah scholarship, delving into that chachma and, and seeing something we've never seen before. Trying to, he says, we're to trying to gaze through the cracks, paraphrasing the Pasuk in Shirashirim, just to get a little bit of pleasure from the splendor of that truth. And therefore, if someone's trying to go a little bit deeper, even in areas that we will never fully grasp, he should not feel bad about that. But he says, I want to give you a bracha and mention you only in praise. <laughs> 
So we have the encouragement of the Sefer Echinuch to delve into something that ultimately we'll never fully discover. The very beginning of the conversation in Parsha Shmini regarding the animals that are kosher versus those that are not, the Pasuk says, Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron saying, right, These are the chayos, the animals that you're allowed to eat out of all the, uh, the animals that live on the land. This expression of zos, wherever we find it, usually the connotation is something is actually being shown. Zos, here it is. One example, Medrash Rabbah tells us, is when Moshe was given the instructions to make the menorah, it was niskasha, it was very difficult for him to understand what exactly is going on, how is it made, all the different shapes and the cups. So there the Pasuk says the Lushen of Zos, where Chazal teach us, Hashem was actually showing Moshe what the menorah looks like. Chatzi Shekel, we have a similar thing. There was this image of, of a half a shekel that was shown to Moshe, and the same thing is true when it comes to the discussion of what animals are kosher and which ones are not. Moshe was having a hard time understanding, and therefore, Zosachaya, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed this picture. These are the kosher ones, right? He had little flashcards. Cow. Good. <laughs> Pig. Usser. <laughs> Camel. Usser. Sheep. Good. That's what the Chazal seems to be saying, that Moshe had to be shown the pictures, because otherwise it would be somewhat complicated. What's difficult about this Medrash Rabbah is that when it comes to the menorah, for example, anyone learning those psukim, describing what the menorah actually looked like, we could all relate to the fact that it was probably very, very complicated, to the point where we even have a debate amongst the Rishonim as to what it really looked like. It's not clear from the psukim. When it comes to animals, what was so complicated? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe, these species are okay, right? Split hoof, they chew its cud. These species are not okay. Why do you have to have pictures and diagrams? He didn't see all of them. This is the question of the Shla. Right? The Shla asks, why did Moshe need diagrams? It sounds pretty straightforward. Let's listen to what the Shla answers. He says, Ha'inyan that niskashim Moshe bitam. Indian. Moshe wasn't troubled by what, what animals are good, which ones are not kosher. He didn't need to be shown the animal. The question that was plaguing Moshe, so to speak, when he heard about the dietary restrictions was, Not which one is which, but, but why? Why is it that, that this is okay to eat and this one is not okay to eat? What did Hashem show Moshe, explains the Shla? Not a diagram of a cow versus a camel, but Moshe sowed Ruchniusam Vikocham Lamala. 
he took Moshe into a different dimension. And he was Megala, he revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu the, the core of the Ruchnias, of the spiritual core, the elements within this species. And Moshe was able to see, now I get it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was taking me behind the curtain, so to speak, really delving into the, the metaphysical makeup of each species. And with that understanding of, of the kochos hanefesh in this behemoth versus this one, or in that chaya versus that chaya, Moshe had a sense of, of comfort, now I get it. But what's intriguing is that until Moshe understood why is this one kosher and why is this one treif, it was niskashalo. He had a hard time with it. Obviously, he would have listened to the mitzvah, whatever it was, but Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to understand why. And we're doing the same thing. What's also intriguing about this shla is that we get a little bit of a glimpse, right? We're beginning to... to to look into the cracks and see that Zohar, that, that splendor, Kashrus, determining whether or not this min, this species is kosher, seems to be based on a spiritual makeup, the, the ruchnius of the behema. Lahavdil bein hatomeyo bein hatahor, but still that expression, right? The kosher ones are called Tahor, they're pure, and the non-kosher ones are referred to as tame, they're impure. In what way are they tame? Take a look at Rashi in the, uh, the very bottom here, page two, commenting on this first pasuk, Zosachaya, this is the living species that's kosher. Lashon chayim, chayim, life. This is the, 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 the life force that is permitted to eat. Lefishi Yisrael devukim b'makom, because Kalal Yisrael is a nation, we are connected, we are intertwined with Hashem. Uru'uyin lios chayim, and therefore we need life. Life is a major theme in everything we do, right? L'chayim. So the Pasuk saying, Zosachaya, this form of life is, is, is appropriate for you. You, a nation that clings to Hashem, you, a nation that, that is really, you require life. That's why they were separated from those that were Tameh. In this context of Rashi, right, just analyzing it carefully, it almost sounds like Rashi is telling us that Tumah is the opposite extreme of Chaim. Chaim is life. Chaim is what we need. Th- this Chaim, this life force is permitted, and this one is Tameh. How is, how is Tuma at some level the opposite of, of Chaim, of alive? Tuma is the opposite of Tahor. So we're getting a little bit deep this evening. What is the, the basic hashkafa? What's the rationale? Again, this is a, a chok. This is beyond human comprehension. But the little bit that we could relate to, what is the notion of tumah? 
to say that this thing is Tameh, when I come in contact with it, I become Tameh. How does that work? So the truth is, this was a conversation between the, the Kuzar king and the Chaver. In the Sefer Kuzari, we have the many different conversations between the, the rabbi and the king of the Kuzars. One question that was posed to the rabbi was, how do you guys explain the whole uh, thing of Tsaras? That's going to be next week's Parsha. But the whole notion of having some kind of metaphysical illness that makes you Tameh, what is this Tuma all about? So the rabbi answers the king of the Kuzars, and he first has the same preface that we always start with, that she'ein erech bein sechleinu, we don't fully grasp some of these more godly ideas. However, he says, possibly the notion of tzeras and other forms of tumah, other examples we find in Chumash, where someone becomes Tameh, can all relate back to the reality of death. When there is a loss of life, then there's tumah, a loss of life or a loss of potential life, then there's this reality, we can't see it, we can't feel it, we can't touch it, but when there's a loss of life or potential life, then there's a tuma that, that sets in. So when one is a mitzora, when one has some level of tzeras, his aver, his, his arm, it's as if it's dead for that time. So that's why tuma comes in. Tuma is connected with a loss of life or a loss of potential life. The very beautiful words of Aaron Soloveitchik, elaborating on this concept. Aaron Soloveitchik wrote that the verse, Yiras Hashem Tehora, having reverence of Hashem is Tehora, Omedis La'ad, it stands forever, it lasts forever. It gives us a clue as to the real meaning of tahara, the real meaning of purity. Purity is that which is permanent. Purity is to be equated with permanence, with continuity, with everlastingness. Impurity, tmeya, tuma on the other hand, is to be equated with deterioration or decomposition. The corpse of a dead person is tameh because it represents the decomposition and the deterioration of something that was existing and no longer is existing. This is the notion of Tuma. So when Rashi says, Zos Chaya, these animals which the Torah views as kosher, these bring life. This allows us to stay vibrant and connected with the Kaddosh Baruch Hu. The other ones are Tameh. Meaning even if they're not halachically, practically Tameh, but they lead to the opposite of life, which is tuma, which is a connection with death. What is the connection with death that we could associate with a non-kosher species? So now we get one step deeper and we're going to conclude with this idea. The Nefesh Achayim, Ruchayim Velazhin, he explains, and he actually quotes from the conversation that took place between the Magid, the angel, and the Beis Yosef. That the Magid told the Beis Yosef that everything in the universe 
requires sustenance, it requires a nutrition on some level to be able to keep on going, to be maintained. The Magid told the Beis Yosef that even the spheros, even all of the celestial dimensions, they are only in existence because of the mazon, because of the nutrition that all of those worlds are receiving. Receiving from whom? Receiving from Klal Yisrael. Every action, every word, every thought. This is a major theme in the Nefesh Chaim. It has this massive impact on the entire universe. He goes on to say that even the Malachim, even the Malachim are only in existence because of the Muslim that they're receiving from Klal Yisrael down here, being connected to Torah, being Osek B'Torah. This is true for everything in the universe, and it's true for our neshama as well. The neshama, in order to continue, requires mazo. There's a, there's a need for, for nutrients. What is the mazon of the neshama? So the Nefesh Chaim says, and we would all assume this basic idea, somehow our engagement with ruchnius, Torah and chesed and mitzvos and, and caring for others and tefillah, all of these things we do in the realm of spirituality, that's mazon for the neshama. And that's what the Nefesh Chaim says. That's spiritual sustenance for the spiritual aspect of who we are. When we eat, is there any nutrients to the neshama? So I think most of us would have assumed, no. The only mozon for the neshama is something that speaks the same language, namely, other spiritual activities. But of Chaim Velazhin in his commentary on the Mishnah and Perkyavos, it shares with us something very deep. And this is a quote from Rav Chaim Vital, the main disciple of the Arizal. That Rav Chaim Vital said, quoting his Rebbe, the Arizal, that when the Pasuk in Parshas Ekev tells us, the human being is not sustained, he doesn't live on bread alone, but only through that which comes out of Hashem, the word of Hashem is really what sustains us. So Rechaim Vital explained that everything in this world, every form of life on any level has a Gashmi and a Ruchani. It has a physical component and it has a spiritual component. The physical is that which was created. But how is it still here? What is sustaining this blade of glass, grass? What is being Mekayim, this particular animal you know, running around somewhere in the middle of a, of a forest. What is that force of life? That's the ruchnius, that's the pi Hashem, the, 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 the word of Hashem that was implanted within every life form. On every level, that is the mekayim, that's the sustainer of that particular entity. If it's vegetation, if it's the, anything in the animal kingdom, if it's a human being. It's interesting, when you think about it, out of all the food we eat, 
what do we consume that was not ever alive at some point? I'll give you an example. All right, recently, I wanted to start becoming a vegetarian. But not just a regular vegetarian, where I'm avoiding meat or fish. I wanted to go vegan. But then I realized I want to go further than that. The whole notion of consuming plants, right? Lettuce, soy, all these things were once growing. They were once alive on some level. I don't want to eat anything that was alive. And through my consumption, I'm taking away that life force. So this is a diet that works well for about three or four days. <laughs> and then you take away your life force. But it's an interesting thought. Why is it that everything that actually works to maintain and sustain the human being or any other form of life, anything in the animal kingdom, we can't eat rocks. Something that's totally inanimate, it has no nutrition. We could only survive by consuming something that was alive, and that's true on every level of the food chain. Why is that the case? So I think based on what Rav Chaim Vital is teaching us, we now have a deeper understanding of how the food chain works. The sustenance that we gain when we eat food is not just the gashmi, but it's the ruchnius in the food itself. Anything that was alive has a gashmi and a ruchni. And when I consume something, then that means by definition, I'm, I'm placing into my body, I'm, 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 I'm putting this into myself, the physical, but also something spiritual, a chius, a form of life on some level. <coughs> It's not the same form it was when this thing was alive, but there's a chius that's still here that I need, otherwise I, I won't get the nutrition. So it comes out, there's really two ways of nurturing the neshama. There's something that's purely spiritual, chesed, tefillah, Torah, but then there's also something that's a combination, namely consumption of food which is always a tziruf, always a combination of physical and spiritual. The physical is helping the body, explains Rav Chaim Velazhin, and the spiritual component of the food, the life force that's in the food, is actually feeding the neshama as well. So there are two sources that ultimately feed my neshama. What's the difference between feeding the neshama with something that's purely spiritual, totally void of physical, in contrast to a combination. Meaning, why can't that just go totally spiritual? Why does my neshama also need something that's watered down, so to speak? So Chaim Velazhin says, because one of the greatest miracles of our existence, of our consciousness, is the chibur, is the connection between body and soul. This is something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Something that's totally gashmi, it's a, it's a physical thing, or something that's a malach Hashem, it's an angel, totally spiritual, that we could kind of relate to. 
But the notion of having a goof, having a body that is so incredibly magical with all of the billions and billions of, of components and, and miracles happening every split second, but somehow the goof is intertwined with the neshama, that chibur, which might be one of the greatest miracles of our existence, that comes through achila. That comes through consuming a chibur, a, a, a combination of physical and spiritual. This is actually, we did this somewhat recently in the Dirshu, when the Shulchan Aruch is explaining the bracha that we make at the end of Asher Yatzar, we conclude by saying, Rofeichol Basar, you heal all flesh, umafli la'asos, and you perform wonders. Mafli la'asos, what are the wonders that we're talking about in the bracha of Asher Yatzar? Thanking Hashem for the functioning of the body, explains the Ramah in number 14. It's the miracle of Shemafli Lasos Bemasha Shome Ruach Adam Bekirbo, where Hashem is able to guard the Ruach, the soul of a person inside, Vikosher Dover Ruchani Badover Gashmi, tying together the physical and the spiritual. That's what we have in mind when we say Mafli Lasos, your world, your, your creations are incredible. How do you keep that connection going strong? The Mishnah Brewer actually quotes this idea. He says, The neshama is benefiting from the ruchnius, from the chius, the life that's in the food. And the body is getting its nutrition from the physicality of the food. The Mishnah Brewer is telling us what Rav Chaim Velazhin taught us. Whenever we eat, we're always ingesting physical and spiritual. So now the only question is, is it a ruach, is it a chius that is helpful, that coincides with the neshama, that can assist in that, that combination of body and soul, allowing me to be more conscious and more aware and more open to Kedusha? Or is it a chiyus that is detrimental to the chiyus of my neshama? It's a chiyus of oil and, and, and water. They just don't mix and it could actually be harmful. Everything we ingest, everything we consume has a life force in it. When the Torah is being megala, when the Torah reveals to us, there are certain species of animals, there are certain things as part of the creation. Everything is needed, everything serves a purpose. Nothing is worthless. But to actually take that thing and put it inside of you, to mix that form of chius with your chius, that's not a good idea. That's metamte meshalev, which means... That, that covers up, that constricts, that fogs the, the mind and the heart, that dulls my sensitivity for spirituality. That's the opposite of chius. Zosachaya, this is the life force that you're allowed to consume, but the opposite of that is, 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 is tuma, something that's metamtem, that takes away the chius, that limits the life. Now, we're not answering the question because we weren't privy to that same information that Moshe Rabbeinu was, right? We were never taken on that journey to go behind the curtain and actually see the inner workings of the different life forces and then understand why did those kohos fit well 
and they could be mechazek, they could enhance my neshama and the combination of, of guf and nefesh. But those over there, that chiyus is actually detrimental to me. That we don't know. But at least to, to broaden our horizons as to what it means to consume anything. When we're eating, we're, we're, we're giving ourselves nutrients physically and spiritually. And that's why the postkim tell us that ideally when we do eat, we should have in mind that even though you might say it's an animalistic action, because animals do the exact same thing, but if my intention is I'm eating not just for the, the, the benefit and the fact that it tastes good, hopefully it does, but I'm doing it to extract that ruchnius because I'm trying to add to my chius. I'm trying to expand my, my radiance in order to be a more devoted, a more aware Evid Hashem. If you have that machshava, you have that intention, it seems like from Chaim Velazhin and others, it's actually helpful in the process of extracting that ruchnius in its purest form to be transformative. So why is washing the hands before sitting down to a meal, why is that called Kedusha? Why do we say the bracha al natilas yadayim? Natila is Aramaic for raising up or uplifting. This is the question originally of the Ksav Kabbalah. The answer is because this is exactly what we're about to do. Although it seems so mundane and it could seem like I'm doing the same thing that animals do, but with the right intention, with the right machshava, I'm, I'm going through the process to remind myself, I'm washing my hands, I'm taking something that's very physical, I do my labor and I take out the garbage with my hands, I'm washing them and I'm making the bracha on the tilas yadayim, on the raising up of my hands. The, the lashon of the Ksav Kabbalah is, just like we sanctify ourselves through the eating process, so too in the preparation before the eating, we want to get ourselves in the right mindset to have the proper intention and the proper sanctity while we're eating. So some insights regarding the idea of, of the Kabbalah of Kashrus, and uh, we should all be zocha to eat, and to enjoy the food, but to uh, have in mind, I'm doing this to enhance my Kedusha, to expand my Chiyos, to be a better and more effective Ebed Hashem. Shkoyach. <laughs>